On the left, hawks on the right, cross talk in the flock, trying to fight mid flight. But here comes yelling with that inside voice. Never Jewish space lasers go viral on social media, and the Biden State Department appointment that's stirring controversy. California's proposed ethnic studies curriculum is the talk of the community. Jewish insiders Melissa Weiss is here to give us the full story. And keeping it on the West Coast, this week we're going deep. We're interviewing California Assembly member Jesse Gabriel, a rising star in the Democratic Party who's been involved in the Ethnic Studies episode. Don't push pause. You're listening to Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. And welcome back to episode four of Jewish Insider's Limited Liability Podcast. I'm Rich Goldberg. And I'm Jared Bernstein. What you just heard was Dessa celebrating Janet Yellen as the first female Treasury Secretary in Who's Yelling Now? Well, there you go. See, we're keeping it real here. I love it. Issue one of the week, Jared. I have to talk about it. Everybody's talking about it. We're on there. We're in there. I don't know if it's on or in. We're in the clubhouse. If you don't know what clubhouse is, you better be figuring it out. We can get you some invites. Uh, It's basically like if you, I mean, maybe the clubhouse people won't like me saying this. If you remember Yahoo chat rooms, it's sort of like Yahoo chat rooms with audio on your phone. Yeah. You know, I got the feeling I was in a supermarket where I kept running into random old acquaintances, like coming back for the second year of, uh, of college and sophomore year orientation, people who maybe I knew in a past life, maybe I had had something in common with, and they're all sort of free floating out there and coming up with co- random conversations. Some of them are scheduled. Some of them are not. We were privileged to uh, drop in on a Devar Torah from uh, Rabbi David Wolpe from keeping, speaking of keeping it on the West Coast. And uh, I felt smarter for it. And uh, we got to drop in and give a little plug for the podcast. So thanks for having us, Rabbi Wolpe. And uh, wow, Clubhouse, I guess it's, I guess it's the next big thing. It's a big thing. I'm on it. Jared's on it. We're on it. You better be on it. We're going to be hanging out there between episodes, so be on the lookout for us. We're just going to start open rooms and start talking like we did this past week. If you were on there, you may know it actually relates to the next issue we want to talk about. We had an entire clubhouse conversation with 80 listeners talking about the proliferation of Jewish space lasers. Jared, it, it would be funny if it wasn't completely outrageous and scary as anything. Yeah, you know, here you have uh, a congresswoman from Georgia. Uh, it turns out she had some uh, has a fairly recent past of of YouTube videos where she really is trafficking in the worst of the worst of anti-Semitic tropes. And I guess for me, Rich, the thing that that bothers me the most about it um, certainly there's always been nutballs in both parties. Um, there's certainly have always been anti-Semites out there uh, since since Abraham, right? But for me, the thing that drove me bananas here, and I guess I kind of lay it at your feet to talk about, is the best the Republican Party could do to repudiate this person is the minority leader, Mitch McConnell, but you haven't heard anything out of McCarthy. Yeah, And then you have the former president, who is really the, the front runner to be the party's nominee in four years, Say nice things about her and, 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 you know, indicating that he might pull her close. So, you know, you know, as much as we, and we'll get there, you know, we're going to talk about some of the things going on in California in a few minutes. Uh, certainly my party has plenty of problems as it relates to anti-Semitism, uh, and the like. But like, what is the Republican party doing? And, and are they scared or are they, you know, you know, allowing it to be hijacked by really the worst kind of extremists? Well, honestly, I would say, first of all, totally outrageous, ridiculous. 
uh, Looney Tunes. I think Mitch McConnell called it Looney Lies and a cancer for the Republican Party. I wholeheartedly agree with the minority leader of the United States Senate. Uh, this woman's views are horrendous, horrific, and need to be condemned. Uh, she has no business being in, in the U.S. House of Representatives. And as a party, you know, we should we should take it on to make sure that through elections, uh, these these types of people do not remain in the party into elected office. And that should be true on the Democratic side as well. By the way, I'll just say, I don't know what's going on down there in Georgia. Does anybody remember Cynthia McKinney? So there seems to be like a bipartisan problem of anti-Semites coming to Congress from Georgia. We'll just put it there. But yeah, this is a big problem. It has to be confronted. Uh, I could say for a while, maybe some Republicans were like, is this real? Is this happening? Is this just some meme on on social media? Is somebody punking me? But no, this is real. It has to be condemned as much as we would condemn it on the other side of the aisle as well. And Rich, you know, to segue a little bit into our next issue, you have uh, Liz Cheney, right? Number three Republican in the House who took a stand against President Trump on impeachment. She's not necessarily known as as a kind of a lefty, right, in her in her party. And she her numbers are underwater in her district. Uh, She's facing a potential primary challenger. All because she had the audacity to, rightly or wrongly, vote her conscience when it came to impeaching the president of the United States in in regard, you know, with regards to his encouragement of the riot uh, of the storming of the Capitol. She voted her conscience and is now facing retribution from her whole party. And you know, talk about not wanting to move on and and fighting the last war. Like, what's going on? You know, are they? And, and like I said, I be, will be the first to tell you that the Democratic Party has plenty of problems and plenty of internal issues. We did in episode one. We we talked about this with Congressman Richie Torres, Congressman Richie, as we like to call him on Jewish Insider. But oh, <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Dig. You know yes, I called him Congressman Richie a couple yeah. times last episode, but it was all in good fun. It is Congressman Richie Torres. And we have the utmost respect for him. But what, what's going on? Because you know. Is it's is this a battle for the soul of the Republican Party going on right now? Well, I hope that's not true because the Republican Party's soul uh, is based on some core values of limited government, freedom, uh, lower taxation, uh, free enterprise, entrepreneurialism, helping people. Uh, who can't help themselves, not through just reliance on a social safety net, but actually helping them uh, find advantage and, and achieve the American dream. If, if we are going to be bogged down uh, on these kinds of issues, then we are not in good shape as a party going forward. Liz Cheney has an unimpeachable record and uh, just a stellar reputation. Uh, she is there's a reason why she was elected conference leader. It's a reason why she's number three in the House. Yes, this has been a divisive few weeks. We heard, I think, one of the best articulated positions of a Republican who was for certifying the election for Joe Biden, yet against impeachment, but also for being a big tent and not holding any grudges against those who voted for impeachment from Congressman Mike Gallagher. And I think if we go back to that episode, I encourage you to do that. Listen to how he answered those questions. I think that is a path forward for most Republicans. And, and I got to tell you, after that interview, I have a ton of respect for Mike Gallagher. I didn't know him very well, really know him at all. And I, I'm not going to say he and I are going to agree on a whole lot, but you know that guy's a patriot. That guy is in this business for the right reasons. And you know, I hope that's the Republican Party that I'm running against uh, in 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 the future. Because, and I don't mean I'm running, but I'm running against as a party. Because, do you, do you, are you making news? No, today? no, no, no. News? But that is oh. that that'll be a campaign. Um, you know, metaphysically speaking, based on it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But you know that would that will be an election and a contest based on ideas and differing visions for this country, and that's what it's supposed to be about. And it's not supposed to be about about space lasers and an anti-Semitic trope. So, well, just to just to dish it out to all sides, you're also <laughs> topping the news this past week. Uh, one Rob Malley was named to be President Biden's special envoy for Iran. Uh, he was up until now running the International Crisis Group. Uh, the last three years, he had previously served as a senior director on the National Security Council in the Obama administration. A lot of controversy surrounding him for many years: past contacts with Hamas, contacts with the Assad regime in Syria, the positions he took 
took on Syria, really opposing the democratic movements early in the Civil War, where some like John McCain, Lindsey Graham, thought there was an opportunity to, to side with the people of Syria to get Assad out. And of course, he has a very close relationship with Iranian Foreign Minister Javad Zarif. Uh, he's admitted to hosting strategy sessions in New York when Zarif would come to the UN, even uh, when he was out of government, uh, while the Trump administration was exercising its maximum pressure campaign. But we also know he's close to Tony Blinken. They grew up together, went to the same high school. They're French speakers. They played on the same indoor JCC soccer team. So, listen, I understand why he was picked. Uh, I understand if the direction is to go back into the JCPOA and to reach out to Javad Zarif that you would have this person. But I also think there are consequences for picking somebody with that much controversy. I mean, uh, I, with respect, Rich... Uh, you know, I think that it's been, you know, Tony Blinken has over and over and over again in his confirmation hearing and pretty much every step of the way, uh, indicated that going back into the deal as is, is not something that's on the table for the Biden administration, that there have to be significant changes to address many of the issues that you, that you've talked about in the past, like have it be terrorism sanctions and not just, uh, ballistic miss, not, not just nuclear sanctions. And at the end of the day, Joe, Joe Biden and Tony Blinken make the foreign policy of this government um, or execute the foreign policy of this government. And I think the, they're going to be the ones who are judged. And, and you know, so, yes, is there, uh, you know, an appointment that that's many on the right the right flank might not agree with sure but i don't think that it's the alarm bell that maybe everybody think it is thinks it is because it is you know part of a larger team tony blinken and joe biden have unimpeachable uh pro-israel credentials and i think they're going to see it through in a way that you know maybe others can't because they do have the ability to uh you know reason on their left flank and and will push forward on a, a stronger and better uh iran nuclear and other deal well I, I would just assert that i don't think there are just concerns on the right i think there are moderate democrats centrist democrats pro-israel democrats who are concerned as well some of the press reporting has noted that they did not speak out when you saw people coming to to Rob Malley's defense, this was the far left fringe of the party that was speaking out. You know, Bernie Sanders even tweeting, et cetera. Dennis Ross is so, the far. When did Dennis Ross become the far left flank of the of the Democratic Party? I mean, well, I'm going to be honest. I, I think people also know that he's good friends with Tony Blinken. And if you want to, you know, be up for a job with the Secretary of State, you don't go after a good friend of the Secretary of State. That aside, if Rob Malley wants to come on the show, I am more than happy uh, to have him. I think it would be a great conversation, and, and we'd welcome him on. Great. All right. Well. Moving right along. There was a ton of buzz this past week when Tablet Magazine published a story with a pretty provocative headline, California is cleansing Jews from history. And the story, of course, was referring to California's adoption of a model ethnic studies curriculum for K through 12 education. Here to talk to us a little bit more about it is Jewish Insiders Managing Editor Melissa Weiss. She's been following this story for months, and she joins us now to give our listeners a clearer picture of what's at stake in the state, what's going on up till now, and where we go from here. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jared. Happy to be here. What's going on in California? We've all been following this story for a while now. Uh, you know, it seems like we've gotten to a better place, but sort of take us back a little bit and, and what's been going on the last year or two in ethnic studies in California, a subject which I don't know a ton about, but I, I've been reading a lot about it of late. And it seems to have the entire Jewish community, including people who don't often work together, uh, on the same page for a change. So w what's going on out there? Sure. So we are at the very end of a years-long effort to implement this ethnic studies curriculum in California's K through 12 schools to make it a mandatory requirement for high school graduation. Uh, now, this has been a long and challenging process. There have been several drafts. We're actually on the third draft of the curriculum, and this is not a small curriculum. This is over a thousand pages of lesson plans uh, covering a whole range of, of groups and of people. And so we are finally, finally at the end. In another month and a half, uh, the school education board is going to meet. 
there will be a vote, and then uh, this draft will be implemented. So just so I have it straight, there there were three drafts, right? So there was an initial draft that was some well, horrific. Tell us a little bit about what was in that draft, and then we'll get to the the current draft and how it differs. Sure. So the initial curriculum focused on four marginalized groups in the U.S., African Americans, Asian Americans, Latinos, and indigenous people. And ethnic studies in general has grown over the years. And so now it includes Arab Americans, it includes Jews, uh, but they're not part of these, you know, these four core groups. So the original uh, curriculum didn't include a Jewish American narrative or experience at all. There was no mention of Jews. There was no conversation about anti-Semitism. There was, however, mentions of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement. Uh, There was uh, a rapper's lyrics that were translated from Arabic, and uh, they invoked anti-Semitic tropes. And so the Jewish community in California discovered this and and launched, you know, a campaign with with weeks to go. Uh, And that was... That was how we ended up with a second draft of the curriculum, and we can talk about that if you'd like. And Melissa, the way, the, and just so I understand, I, from what I hear, the the response from the Jewish community was pretty staggering on a pretty short notice on this, right? I mean, it, it was like thousands and if not tens of thousands of comments that came in. Yeah. So before every, uh, at the end of every draft release, you know, the draft is out, there is a couple month long uh, comment period where people in California are able to submit questions and recommendations and suggestions uh, for what the next draft of the curriculum should look like. Uh, And so you had 19,000 out of 20,000 submissions came from the Jewish community. And that's a real testament to the mobilization efforts that, that were happening on the ground. And for anyone who knows much about California groups, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of, of teamwork uh, that went into this effort. Uh, groups that would never normally work together were, were partnering and, you know, just amassing this huge uh, outreach to to drive people to to submit their suggestions and their recommendations to change this curriculum. And Melissa, just just so I got this right, so Jews were not, at, you know, directly talked about in the initial curriculum, but were they talked about in any way in a negative light, maybe not a positive, but any, but any negative connotations? Sure. Uh, well, there were those rap lyrics uh, that were written in Arabic and translated, uh, and they invoked an anti-Semitic trope uh, about Jews in the media. Uh, so that was obviously uh, a huge red flag for the community, uh, and that was something that was taken out after that first draft. Okay, so 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 we've talked about the first draft. Um, you know, Jared talked about you. You added on Jewish communities rallying around it. Lots of comments. Uh, Jewish communities organizing. I know our guest coming up, uh, Assembly Member Jesse Gabriel from California, head of the Jewish Caucus, now the Majority Whip. He's going to talk to us uh, hopefully about uh, his role in that as well. But there was still a second draft that wasn't quite there. Uh, talk more about that. So a year after the first draft, a uh, second draft was, was released. This was this past summer. And the second draft was marginally better. It took out the mentions of BDS. It took out those rap lyrics. But it didn't include any sort of education about Jewish Americans or any sort of definition of anti-Semitism. In fact, the only time that Jews were mentioned was when they were describing white privilege. And they said that Irish Americans and Jewish Americans are the beneficiaries of white privilege. So obviously, still not a great draft. And so then we got to a third draft, which is now the one that is up for a vote or approval. Yes. So we are now on the third draft. Uh, I believe it was released in December. And the third draft includes not one, but two lesson plans on Jewish Americans. One is focused on Jewish American diversity. And the other one is focused on Mizrahi Jewry and anti-Semitism. And both of those lesson plans include definitions of anti-Semitism. The American Jewish Diversity Section includes the definition from the Anti-Defamation League, 
while the anti-Semitism definition in the Mizrahi Jewry section uh, is from the IRA um, working definition of anti-Semitism. So Melissa, where do we go from here? Do all schools have to implement this curriculum? Is it a, if you want it, you can use it? Are the first, is the first draft like still out there or is it the third draft? It's mandatory. Where do we go from here and what are school districts going to be doing uh, as they adopt this final version of this curriculum? So at the end of March, the State Board of Education will meet to approve the curriculum and they're expected to approve it. Uh, and after that, it will be available to, to all schools in the state. Uh, it's not mandatory, though, and there's actually separate legislation currently in this in the state assembly that would make it mandatory. But we're not even thinking about that right now. But the lesson plans will be available to any school that wants to use it. Um, some school districts already have their own. For example, the Los Angeles Unified School District created their own ethnic studies curriculum a couple of years ago, and so they'll use that instead. Uh, but this will be available to schools that might not have the resources to, to put together their own curriculum. Melissa, wow, that is uh, quite a story that you have unpacked for us. Uh, not so simple, pretty complex, a lot of moving pieces, pretty contentious, hotly debated. Thank you for helping us understand it. Thanks for your reporting. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I have to tell you, Jared, I have a lot of questions that have to do with how the first draft, let alone what sounds like an even more outrageous second draft, ever got cooking. Who is behind it? Who is writing these drafts? Is this happening in other states? We're going to have to ask our upcoming guest, California Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel, these questions and many others. Stay with us. And I guess that's as good a time as any transition here. Let's go get him. Let's get our uh, our exclusive guest this week, Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel. Uh, Jared, take us away. Well, we are joined by a very special guest on this podcast tonight, Assemblymember Jesse Gabriel of the great state of California. He is the majority whip, and he is the chair of California's Jewish Caucus. He's here to talk to us about many, many things. But uh, first and foremost... Assemblymember, thanks for being with us on the Limited Liability Podcast, along with my co-pilot, Rich Goldberg. We're happy to have you here. Uh, we were talking earlier about some of the controversy this week, and I guess for the last few months, about the new curriculum coming down. And we were we had a reporter on from Jewish Insider who tried to make some sense of it. There was a, a story this week in Tablet Magazine, another story in Jewish Insider. And we were hoping you could sort of help us make some sense of everything that's going on. Uh, did some activist groups sort of try to pull a fast one here and get caught or, you know, What's going on for, you know, I, I feel like the world en ends at the Hudson River, so I'm very ignorant of these kinds of things. So any light you could shed on this would be fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, good to be with you guys. And I can attest to the fact that there is life beyond the Hudson, uh, even as you continue further west. I so, agree with that, know, by the way. Chicago is, is last time I checked west of the Hudson. I don't know if I want to go that far west, but yes, yes, there is life west. There is. And also also some really good weather, Rich. So you should uh, check it out at some point. Oh, you know, yeah, we just we just dug out like five feet of snow in the last 24 hours. I got more coming. You know, you can move, right? It's not you're not required to live in Illinois. Uh, I choose to go to lower tax states. Uh, so I, I don't know. We could talk about it. I mean, you're in the legislature, but, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll get to my moving uh, habits later on. There you go. There you go. Well, anyways, it's really it is really good to be with you guys. And thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the ethnic studies stuff and really thought that Jewish Insider played an important role in helping to bring some context to what's been going on in California recently. So this is. This is not a new issue for us here in California. This is something that first came to our attention really in 2019. So there was a bill that was passed before I was elected to the legislature that required California, the Department of Education, to develop a model ethnic studies curriculum. And this was a very important priority for a lot of uh, the other caucuses, the Latino caucus, the Black caucus, folks that we work with closely in the legislature. And it was a relatively non-controversial um, idea for, for a lot of folks at that time. And then they started to develop the model curriculum. And it's at that point when they released the first draft that things really, um, you know, be, became controversial and folks really in our community started to pay attention in a more substantial way. Um, you know, the first draft had some really, you know, frankly, some, some really noxious and, and bigoted and inappropriate stuff in it uh, that, that I think you probably, guys have probably read about, you know, trying to incorporate BDS as a social justice movement, talking about some really anti-Semitic uh, tropes that were included in there. So it really, really caught our community off guard. Um, you know, the, the idea of ethnic studies had not been a, a, a very controversial one in a 
state as big and, and, and you know, uh, diverse as, as California. And so our, our caucus pushed back really, really strongly. I mean, we were sort of among the first groups that brought attention to this issue. Um, we put out a very strongly worded letter that is that is quoted in the in the tablet article and, and really brought a lot of attention. to this. And we're actually able to sort of halt the process, um, get it restarted, get some very firm commitments from the governor, from the state superintendent of public instruction. And since then, we've made a lot of progress and things have gone in a, in a much more positive direction. And I think people, you know, there's still work to do on this issue. But people are feeling much better about the uh, the draft of the model curriculum that we have right now. It's not yet finalized. It won't be finalized uh, for a few more months. But people are feeling a lot better. And that's thanks to a lot of really good work by by advocacy organizations in the Jewish community. Can I just ask you, how did that first draft come to be? I'm sure that there are parents out there who, not in California, around the country, are thinking, wow, this this could happen in my state. You know, I I like the idea, ethnic diversity, you know, racial sensitivity. I mean, there's a lot of things that are talked about, cultural diversity classes. Who's sneaking this in? Like, was this a very formal, like, highly educated uh, academic curriculum committee? Was it uh, an organization, an NGO that was given it? Like, how, how does it get in there? As I understand it, and I think some of this happened, you know, some of this happened before I was here in Sacramento and, and frankly, before our new superintendent of public instruction was elected. So I think some of this happened during a, a, a transition period and before our governor was elected. There was the, the Department of Education, as it does with all curriculum. Um, sort of outsourced the process of writing that curriculum to, to, to a small group of experts. It just so happened here that they picked a group of folks that had some views that were really, really far out the, outside of the mainstream and some extreme, exceptionally problematic and, frankly, bigoted views on our issues. Now, the other thing folks should understand here is when that first draft of the curriculum came out, it wasn't just cr- criticized narrowly by the Jewish community on our issues. There was pretty broad criticism. The LA Times editorial board, which is a pretty left-leaning editorial board, came out with some very strong cr- criticism of the curriculum, people who were big ethnic studies champions in the legislature, um, you know, had some critiques of the curriculum. So at that point, what they did is they actually got rid of the sort of three writers that had been assigned to do this, that had written the initial draft, and they started over with a different group of folks. And I think that has led us to to a better place. So now you're the the majority whip, right? So you have a a role to play in sort of the moving of bills and and having bills become law, but you also have a bully pulpit here. And uh, I'm imagining on the curriculum issue, you had to use a little bit of both uh, because there was a law already, you know, on the books. um, And this was sort of an implementation of policy. But I I would imagine that there were sort of noises made about additional legislation and, and, and the like. So tell us sort of what being a whip entails and, and, uh, how that came to bear sort of in this in this context and, and, and others? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, it's a brand new job. I was just appointed as the whip by the speaker uh, a few weeks ago. So I'm very grateful for that appointment and, and, and enjoying it. And it's a lot of it is involved running the floor and helping to advance the, the priorities of our caucus and trying to get the votes for for votes, you know, for important stuff when we need them. Um, and it's it's an interesting job. I mean, we're a relatively small legislature. Uh, we're only 80 members in the in the assembly and 40 members in the Senate, so it's 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 a small number of folks. But but things can grow off the rails pretty quickly. Um, so trying to keep things in line and, and keep the floor functioning well and and move our agenda smoothly through the process is is really the the main work of the job. I will say, you know, it hasn't really um, been. It, I wouldn't necessarily describe it as a bully pro pulpit for the ethnic studies issue, um, particularly because it's a it's a new job for me. But what has been important, I think, is the role of the Jewish caucus. And this is a, it's a relatively new caucus. So we have ethnic caucuses in the legislature in California, uh, a black caucus, a Latino caucus, an API caucus, a women's caucus, an LGBTQ caucus. And they play a very important role in the process. And they're very powerful. And they often have budget priorities and priority legislation. And, you know, the Jewish caucus is, is relatively new. It was started by some folks before I got there. Um, but we've really started to, you know, to become a cohesive group, to work together to try to advance our community's priorities and be and be a voice for our community. And so we, you know, collectively, when the first draft of the curriculum came out, you know, we all we, we sort of banded together and we put out this letter that that was extremely critical of the curriculum, basically said this is unacceptable. We can't teach hate and bigotry in classrooms in the state of California. And even though the legislature doesn't have a formal role of, in writing curriculum, and that's not ethnic studies, that's everything. I mean, it's, it's written by, you know, curriculum is written by experts. We were able to use our perch and our voice to, and, and our, you know, f- you know, frankly, went directly to the governor, had conversations with him. He was extraordinarily receptive to our concerns, had conversations with our other colleagues in the legislature, with the other caucuses to help them understand, you know, what, what the Jewish community's concerns are about these issues. 
um, to work with interest groups, to coordinate with, um, you know, with folks who are like-minded. And I think it's the role of the Jewish caucus here that was really able to to, to play a positive role in this. So I'm, I'm grateful that we have a caucus and that we're able to work together on these. So, so you're the majority whip now for an entire state, not just a small state, the California State Assembly. But as some may or may not know, you started uh, a little smaller than that, right? You started out as student body president uh, at UC Berkeley. Um, how do you compare the two? How did that get you started? I mean, unpack it a little bit. You know, t- t- take some of that majority whip stuff off of you for a moment. Let our listeners hear from you. I mean, how did you get started in politics? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I always uh, well. First of all, thank you for outing me as a huge nerd, Rich. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> well, well, well. Truth be told, I heard you speak when I was in college at the first APAC Saban Summit in Washington D.C. And I think you were student president at the time. And he has your and he has your autograph. That is that is not true. Yeah. That is not true. He signed he, he signed my underwear. That, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, no, it's an it's you know it, it's an interesting question, and I actually think that um, the time I spent at Berkeley was was really formative in maybe ways that I didn't appreciate at that time. Um, you know, on, on a couple of levels, and particularly as they relate to this. You know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a community, I like to say that I thought anti-Semitism was something that happened in Berlin in 1939. And it was going to Berkeley, you know, this was when sort of, you know, Students for Justice in Palestine, SJP, grew out of UC Berkeley. You know, this was really the beginning of, of, of divestment on college campuses in a lot of ways. So it was a very, it was a very eye-opening experience for me uh, in that respect. And, you know, I remember they had, I was there for the Iraq War. I was there for the, you know, Second Intifada. I was there when they, you know, threw bricks through the window at Hillel. Um, and these were not things that I had experienced growing up in a, you know, in a very Jewish neighborhood in Southern California. Um, so that was a, you know, a really powerful and eye-opening experience for me. The other was, you know, just learning about sort of other communities, um, about coalition building, about the power of working in coalitions. I mean, student government at, at, at Berkeley is in some ways not that different from the legislature. Uh, the student government there is a little different than other universities in that it has complete control over allocating all the resources to various student groups as a budget of about $20 million. And there's, you know, a lot of competition for those resources. And you, you, you learn about how you get stuff done and how you got to, how your community has to work in, in coalition with other communities to, um, to, 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 to get things done. So in that, in that respect, it was a good, um, it was a good experience. And it's funny it, it just so happens that a number of people that I worked with in student government at Berkeley um, are now either members of the legislature or members of the Newsom administration in senior positions. So uh, one of my colleagues, James, Gall- James Gallagher, a, a very conservative Republican who um, I disagree with quite frequently, was a um, was a student senator with me at UC Berkeley. Um, we always disagreed, but we always got along really well on a personal level, and that has persisted into the legislature. Um, and you know there are folks in the in the in the governor's cabinet that I served with in student government. So it's 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 it, 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 in some ways you know that I didn't appreciate at that time. It actually um, you know helped teach me some important lessons that have stayed with me. So Assemblyman, you are you are one of the things we love to celebrate here on Jewish Insider, which is a staffer who has made good and got elected. And so uh, Rich and I are both recovering political staffers. Um, Word is you may have been a uh, a staffer alongside the current Secretary of Transportation and the illustrious Matt Kasdan, who, if Matt, if you're listening, I've got to give you a shout out there, who was was on my team in the Obama administration. Um, So what is it, uh, you know, how is it to change chairs, right? To, to go from uh, being a staffer to being the principal? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I will second your shout out to Matt. Hey, buddy, he's, a, he's he is one of the greats. Um, and also connected to something Rich asked me about earlier, uh, which was about or, or mentioned earlier, which is about being at that APAC conference. That's actually the first time I met Mayor Pete. So I was student body president at Berkeley. I was invited to come to this APAC policy conference. I had no idea what APAC was. I never heard a policy conference. Um, came and one of the one of the students who spoke to us was this uh, was this kid from Harvard who was working at the Institute of Politics, um, and I was kind of blown away. It was Mayor Pete. And- wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Pete was at that Saban. Yep. And you didn't get his autograph. You got the wrong Rich. autograph, Rich. No, no, this autograph. is what's blowing my mind. So, so later in life, I'm a Navy Intel Reserve officer. Mayor Pete is a Navy. Reserve Intel Officer. Commander. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Lieutenant Commander. But, you know, this commander's fine. Uh, well, our, our, I'm supposed uh, to say commander for short. Right? Yeah. Ch- Chief Bernstein, please. Uh, Eddie's. That's Eddie's. right. Chief Bernstein. Uh, okay. And 
and you know we were in the same unit uh for several years oh, wow. uh in the chicago area because obviously it's like the one midwest uh reserve unit so he would come in from south bend uh we spent some time together uh but Wow, that's wild! I had no idea we were at that same event. Yeah, before. it's uh, you know it's interesting how these uh, how, how paths can cross and then cross again. Um, so I you know I met Mayor Pete um, when I was working on a or met, met him again when we worked together on a political campaign in Arizona, which is where I met Matt Kasdan. Um, so was, was that Janet Napolitano or was that John Kerry? The uh, Democratic Arizona Democratic Coordinated Campaign in '04. So that's uh, that's where we all that's where we all connected, and it's an interesting group of folks. I mean, it included Rohit Chopra, who's just got appointed to the CFPB, and a, a bunch of other folks that have gone on to do interesting stuff. Yeah, it's been an interesting transition from staffer to uh, to, to principal. You know, I, I, as I think you know, I worked for Evan By on Capitol Hill, and you know, wonderful guy um, would would occasionally do things that would totally frustrate me, and I could not understand why he was doing them. And then, you know, within about a couple of weeks of being elected, I kind of started to understand why he was doing things. So it's, it's different to have your name on the door. It's different to be the guy on the ballot. It's different to be the one who has to make the ultimate decision. And, um, you know, it, it, it has been the, the transition's been harder than I thought it would be, um, frankly. I mean, it's, it's politics is hard um, and you got to make a lot of tough choices and you got to upset people. You got to navigate tough situations. I mean, as you know, and this is particularly true in, in, in the legislative world that politics forces moments of tension, right? And, and you got to take a vote and you, it's, you got two options and you're probably going to upset some pe- people you really like uh, either way. And so it's, but, but, but I do think the things, you know, working as a staffer and, and understanding some of those things has been very helpful. We are reliably informed that you have two Jewish quotes on the wall in your office. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? I have to say, I was told that you guys do your homework, but uh, this 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 feels pretty next level, especially since no one has been in my office uh, in about a year. Well, you know, you know that 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 desk over there that was actually rich in camouflage. Uh, he's an intel guy. See, I mean, see when you when when you wear your mask, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> there you go. So yeah, so what's the story with the quotes, and, w- and what do they mean to you? So you know, when I got elected, I was um, thinking about stuff that I could put on my on the walls in my office um, that would serve two purposes: one that would kind of communicate my values to folks that came into the office, and also that would speak to me. That would you know that would sort of inspire me as I came into into the building every day to do work to try to uh, to try to make a difference. Um, and so I was, you know messing around on, on online, and it's actually you know really thinking about things that spoke to me. And I typed in pure chaos vote into Etsy um, to see what I could find. And, uh, you know, there were the two great quotes, one from, from Rabbi Tarfan, you know, about Loa Lecha, it's not on you to complete the work, but neither are you free to desist from it. Um, and then obviously the, the, the great quote from Rabbi Hillel, you know, if I'm not for myself, who will be for me? If I'm only for myself, what am I? And if not now, when? Um, and that's, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a quote that has, you know, always spoken to me very powerfully um, as somebody who believes that, you know, our Jewish values obligate us to, to go out into the world and try to change the world, both to stand up for ourselves as proud Jews and to make a difference for our community, but, but also to make a difference on some of the deeper social justice issues. So uh, I kind of got really excited about them, and, and I actually ended up buying two copies of each. And so they're, they're on the wall, both in my capital office in Sacramento and on, and on the wall in my district office in Woodland Hills. All right, Rich is going to give you one more substantive question, and then we will get to the fun, the fun questions to round us out. So, Rich, be, be be gentle. He's a, he is an up and comer. You 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 know I, I I wish you would say. And now Rich is going to give you a real softball and let me just like yeah. just unload the <laughs> fastball unexpectedly. That's that's the way we do it in the majors. But all right. So so assembly member, you know, people typically look at Washington for foreign policy, but the truth is, is that there is a great deal of impact that states, especially large states like California, can have uh, on foreign policy. We've seen that in the past, uh, California, Illinois, Florida, other states, especially when they use their pensions uh, for good. Uh, California was a leader several years ago, I think back in like 2007, for the Iran divestment campaign to put pressure on companies to get out of Iran, part of the campaign to stop its nuclear program. Uh, they and other states were doing the same to try to pressure companies to get out of Sudan during the Darfur genocide. One of the the sort of areas where a lot of states, Illinois, Florida, New Jersey, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, a bunch of states, uh, they've also voted to divest their pension funds from companies that participate in the BDS movement. Now, I know California has a law on the books that deals with procurement. You can't contract with the state uh, if you're involved in that. 
but they haven't taken that step on the you know actually getting CalPERS to be able to blacklist firms for boycotting Israel. The Supreme Court's waited on that. It's 100% constitutional. I know there's there's questions out there, but is that something you've looked at? Is that something that's still possible for California? Yeah, it's a great question. And we've, and we've had conversations about it. And I will say, um, you know, I do think states have a really important role to play here. I remember when I was a, a staffer for Evan Bay and we were looking at Iran sanctions and, and working with some of your uh, some of your former colleagues on, on the other side of the aisle. We actually got inspiration from the work that Ted Deutsch was doing in Florida, um, who was then a state senator. And that's how I first met him when he was a state senator from Florida who was really making a difference. So I, I do think states have an important role to play here. You know, we've looked at this. There are there are complications here just in terms of the politics around our, our, our pensions, frankly, um, and and some of the other and, and there's some other you know complicating factors here. And, and as you mentioned, we do have this anti BDS law that my colleague Richard Bloom shepherded through the legislature before I was elected. So so we are on record there and have done some work there. You know, a lot of what we've talked about and what I think is is frankly maybe a better way to do this is to just actually strengthen relations between California and Israel and do things that are positive rather than going after the, the BDS folks and having the conversation about, um, you know, that part of it um, and focusing on those who want to sanction Israel is let's, let's focus on all the great things that Israel is doing and all the benefits to the people of the state of California and the United States of America from strengthened relations. And so we have a, a memorandum of understanding between the state of California and the state of Israel that were signed by Prime Minister Netanyahu and, and our former governor, Jerry Brown. And one of the things we've done in the Jewish caucus is, is look at how we can strengthen that and put some energy behind that. And how do we you know, have Israel and California cooperate together on wildfires and water and clean tech and other things that are, that are really important to, to both states? And we, you know, I, I took a group of my colleagues to Israel um, a little over a year ago uh, in December 2019, and we had some really good conversations with, with some of our counterparts in Israel about how do, we, how do we strengthen this cooperation. And I think that's a way, a great way to do things that will be of great benefit to constituents of California um, and also show everybody all of the really amazing work that they're doing in Israel. And why, you know, for, forget a conversation about, you know, divesting from Israel. Let's have a conversation about why, you know, strengthening relationships with Israel is really, really good for the people of California and the people of the United States. Sign me up for both. I, I, I like both. Uh, I'll say one thing. There's only one state in America with a worse pension system than yours, and that's my home state of Illinois. And uh, and we were able to get it done there. There was some pension politics. Uh, if you ever went offline, I'm happy to help you and anybody else uh, how to navigate that, because I think if CalPERS signed on, that would be... That'd be big. That'd be big. JB, JB, let, let's get the softballs. Let's get the softballs. This man's been grilled. This man's been grilled. Thank you. So we're, we're going to go to some of the lightning round questions here, which uh, are just to give our, our listeners, um, particularly we have a strong contingent in Honduras, weirdly enough, but uh, we, or, or so we're- Is that actually we, true? We are yeah, the actually- 151st most popular podcast in Honduras this past week. So we want to thank the Honduran people for their loyalty to Limited Liability Podcast. And we hope that your neighbors throughout the world will- We'll, we'll find the light. You guys are rocketing up the charts there in Honduras. That's impressive. For the, for, for they the, love us in Honduras. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And you will say- you will say you knew us when, and we will say we knew you when. Um, so remember, what is your favorite Yiddish word or phrase? And you can't go back to the ones that are on your wall because we already asked you about that. So yeah, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not a big Yiddish guy. Okay, um, I you know I spent I spent uh, first couple years of my life in Israel, and so we're more of a of a modern Hebrew family. You know, when you need uh, when you need to reach for choice expressions, but I, I will tell you an interesting story, which is our Senate Majority Leader here in California, Bob Hertzberg actually wrote a book called Yiddish for Legislators and distributed it to all of our colleagues in the Capitol. And he will be, you know, deep into uh, deep into policy conversations and, you know, in pull out a little Yiddish and everyone is kind of looking around the room trying to figure out what he's saying. So he uh, he provided a very helpful guide. So I don't know, Rich, if, if there's anyone in, uh, you know, Springfield that uh, that could use the Yiddish for Legislators guide. We're happy to we're happy to send it. Uh, th- that's fantastic. I think it'd be great in every state capital. Be great. Yeah, and if we if we could get a hold of a copy of that, that would be a prized possession. Uh, do you have Do you have a favorite Hebrew word or phrase you could substitute in there? Well, uh, I'd say for for this year, Balagan has been uh, has been at the top of the list. Um, and, and you know, it's uh, you know both uh, both Hebrew and Arabic, but Yalla is uh, is one I use a lot with my colleagues when i'm whipping them a uh, favorite jewish food ashkenazi or sephardic so i'm gonna go very specific and generic here so generic is bagels i love i love bagels um and uh frequently you know they're what sustains me in sacramento when i'm when i'm having to fend for myself 
and uh, specifically is the black pastrami Reuben from Brent's Deli in the San Fernando Valley. So if you guys ever venture out west, uh, it would be my great honor to take you to Brent's Deli for a black pastrami Reuben. So just as an aside, I have to have to interject. In one of our clubhouse hangouts this week, we actually talked about doing a salami off. Not a pastrami off. I'm open to a pastrami off as well because my nominee for best salami will be the same nominee for best pastrami of Romanian in Chicago. We could do like, we could do like cat. Manny's, Katz's, Zabar's, you know. Yeah, so write down, so write down, you know, my colleagues who are in other parts of LA will disagree with me, but write down Brent's Deli from uh, from the San Fernando Valley. Well, our producers are listening and uh, we are sure we are going to get the budget approved for uh, for our salami off, but that sounds fantastic. All right. All, off of all of your Honduran royalties and advertising. <laughs> if there is all a right, Honduran uh, kosher deli that would like to talk to us, we'll, we'll entertain that. So please email us at podcast at jewishinsider.com there is a hanukkah party at the indian embassy in washington dc so i'm sure there's a honduran kosher deli out there all right um a couple more so what are you reading right now some remember or what the the best book you've read recently i know uh you're on the road a lot you're always reading a lot of policy papers and legislation but what's the the best thing you've read that is not directly work related but it could be somewhat you know you know, you're going to think this is this is made up, but I'm actually reading um, a, a Jonathan Sachs book right now, To Heal a Fractured World. Um, I just started it and, you know, thinking about, yeah, it's just really kind of grappling with questions after everything that happened at the Capitol a couple of weeks ago and, um, you know, Googling around and, and looking for, for moments of inspiration about where we go from there. I mean, that, that, that hit me pretty hard. Um, so, you know, turn to turn to Rabbi Sachs and it's been it's been a great read so far. And I will tell you the book that I read, um, you know, in the last couple of months that really um, that I just loved was uh, a biography of Abraham Joshua Heschel called Mind, Heart and Soul. Um, and it really I, I picked it up um, in part because it was recommended to me uh, by someone I, I used to work with, Jesse Scharf. Um, but also it's just sort of, you know, in the wake of all of the, the George Floyd stuff and everything that happened this summer and, and reading some of what Rabbi Heschel had written about uh, racial justice from a Jewish perspective really struck me. And it's just a really powerful read. And to hear the story of this, you know, um, this, you know, this rabbi who was out there marching in the civil rights movement, you know, who, who was there with Dr. King and, and yet is the, you know, the scion of these great Hasidic dynasties and is, you know, so deeply immersed in classic, um, you know, Jewish learning and, and everything else was, was a really interesting read. And I, I kind of wish that, um, you know, more more young progressive Jews would read something like that. You know, people who are out there who feel so deeply about social justice and would understand that there's this incredible, um, you know, Jewish tradition that really leads us in that direction. I think it would it would really open a lot of hearts and minds. All right, last question: Student body president to staffer to majority whip of the California State Assembly. Is there something else coming? And if you want to make some news on the Limited Liability Podcast... We, we always, always bury our news in the last question. We, right, but we but we always offer our guests the ability to make some news. You know, Jared, I was hoping to side text you about how to become White House Jewish liaison. So, you know, if you have... Oh, uh, boy. Oh, boy. If you have advice about that, uh, I'm all ears. Not- <laughs> notably, one has not been named yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, st- they're still looking for one, so we can, you know, we could probably... But just remember, as my mother said to me at the White House Hanukkah party, she said, Jared, you know everybody here. And I said, I know, Mom. It's awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> year, and that was last year. That's, you know, that's what's amazing. Yeah, no, 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 no. no. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't quite make the list last year, Rich. I mean, unfortunately. You know, it's curious. I haven't gotten an invite for the last four years. I, I can't figure out why, but uh, I'm hoping I'll get on the list again. Well, if you can figure out how to get me invited for the next four years, just let me know. So. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope to have you back soon. Um, we expect great things out of you in uh, in Sacramento and L.A. And thanks for being a fan and being a, a friend of the Limited Liability Podcast. Assembly member, Majority Whip, Jesse Gabriel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be with you. And, and thanks for all the great work and, and uh, you know, entertaining content that you guys put out. I'm a big fan of Jewish Insider and the, and the podcast.
Jared, that was a great interview. I, I'm excited that we are getting outside of the Beltway. We're getting people from around the country, uh, a state assembly in California. People aren't thinking about that, but that is where the future is a lot of the times in state legislatures. Great to hear a young leader up and coming with a bright future. Didn't give us uh, exactly what that future will entail, but uh, we have to believe there will be something more. Absolutely. So let's go now, Rich, to the listener mailbox. Last week, we had a a great question from Rabbi Uri in Israel uh, about our favorite areas of Torah study. This week, we have an email from somebody who would rather not be named, but they want to know, why is this show called The Limited Liability Podcast? Which is a pretty good question. I've gotten that a few times from members of my family. So, Rich, why don't you you tell everybody? So the answer, well... It's a very Jewish name, and I'll tell you how. Our last names, however you want to put it together, Goldberg Bernstein, Bernstein Goldberg, Goldberg Bernstein Goldberg, sounds like a law firm. And so, obviously, you would put LLP afterwards, Goldberg Bernstein LLP, Bernstein Goldberg LLP. But instead of P being for partnership, it's podcast. So this is the limited liability podcast, but I will still call you partner or chief hey is this thing on all right so uh one last item we probably want to cover really quickly um we have the super bowl upcoming this weekend um any predictions i will tell you uh this has not been my favorite professional football season of all time because i am a jet fan and they made it they made themselves irrelevant pretty quickly but i will tell you uh much as i will root against or root for any team playing against the New York football giants. I will also root for any team playing against Tom Brady. So, um, and with that, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna have a nice little, little spread here. It's obviously not going to be the big party that we usually do. Um, but Rich, what do you, what are you guys doing for the Super Bowl? Any, any special, uh, predictions or any special items, uh, on the menu at the Goldberg household? Uh, we will have chicken wings, of course, as traditional from a nearby kosher barbecue establishment uh, here in Chicago. It'll be wonderful. Uh, We will be rooting for any team that can destroy the Packers and also embarrass New England Patriot fans. So on Tampa Bay, I'm sure you will make history with the second quarterback to win another Super Bowl with a second team. If you like what you heard today, tell your friends, tell your family, follow us on Clubhouse. Yes, look out for us. Make sure you're following us. We'll be hanging out. And also follow us on Twitter at ji podcast remember to follow subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts use social media for good and spread the word email us your comments and story ideas at podcast at jewishinsider.com if you like what you heard tell your friends tell your family if you don't like what you heard don't tell anybody until next time this is limited liability podcast thanks for listening but here comes yelling with that inside voice never mind the mild manner policies make noise no she's five foot nothing but hands a god she could pop a collar she could rock a power bob bay ridge represent brooklyn's in the cabinet damn janet go and get it fifth and for president she knows the kind of stimulus it takes to pass i heard she called the house of christ she's qualified it only took a couple centuries the first female secretary of the treasury don't want no tax evasion for just There's busted glass Janet broke another ceiling You can bet your brass That the Lego guy is leaving Let's check to cash Excuse me, Janet has a briefing And a flight to catch And Janet, Janet. She's the first that's led The Council of Economic Advisors Treasuring the Fed She needs a three-sided coin That always comes up heads To put the triple crown down When she goes to bed Call the decorators New boss in the office Vendors and the savers Watch the confirmation process We got to meet him Now let's let her settle in And lift up your mojitos Cause she manages the mint